Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, I'm speaking about selling haunted items. Just before we get to that though, I just want to say if you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes of Paranormal Thoughts, please make sure you subscribe or follow on whatever podcast platform you use. Also, if you want to leave us a five-star rating, that helps us out massively. If you're a Spotify listener, I want you to go into Spotify, leave a five-star rating, screenshot it, and then send me that screenshot on Instagram or Facebook, or you can even email it to me, whatever whatever way is best suited for you to get that screenshot to me, uh, and you'll go in the draw to win a Paranormal Thoughts podcast shirt. So all you got to do is just go leave a five-star rating, screenshot that rating on Spotify, and then just send it to me, and I'm going to draw that at the end of this month. Speaking of Facebook and Instagram, you can jump on over there and follow me. It's a great way to see other bits and pieces, you know, take part of polls or, you know, just a way to kind of uh, get in touch with me if you need. Also, you can email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com if you ever want to come on the podcast or just speak to me uh, about some of your experiences. I'm always happy to hear from you guys. In this episode, I'm speaking with Brent. He's the owner of Caligari's Auditorium. So what Caligari's Auditorium is, they're a retailer who sells unique oddities, curiosities, Halloween and horror items, some of these items supposedly being haunted. Now, for years, I wanted to speak to someone who sells haunted items. I've been so curious about, I suppose, how you even get into that, even the moral sort of dilemma around selling something with a supposed attachment. You know, I had so many questions and for years, I've been trying to find someone who is willing to come on and be really open about all this, you know, because I feel like there may be some people out there. I mean, well, there's definitely some people out there in this line of work who aren't genuine, you know, and I feel like I had to really kind of work through a lot of uh, a lot of different people to actually find someone. I'll, you know, I'm more than happy to say that, to find someone who was going to genuinely come on and, you know, lay it out for all of us, and, you know, especially myself, just being so curious about all this. Uh, and Brent is an extremely interesting gentleman. His day job, he's a therapist. He is a prop builder. He works for a local haunted house in his area. And then obviously on the side again, he's collecting these items, keeping some for himself, but then also selling on things. Uh, it, the conversation that we have is really fascinating. I, It's amazing when I get to speak with people and you have these kind of instant connections. I've been having that a lot recently. I don't think that's just for a coincidence either. I think it's really interesting how things kind of happen. But, I mean, Brent and I spoke for close to three hours. And, I mean, this you'll see this episode's only about 45 minutes or so. Um, but, yeah, we spoke about a lot of things within the paranormal. Um, and I guess him being a therapist, we really, he really turned it back around on myself. And um, I'd love to even use some of that chat somewhere else eventually. But we did speak about some things that are coming down the pike at the moment, which you guys will find out about really soon. But when I mentioned it to Brent, let's just say, I mean, we probably spoke about that particular thing for about an hour. So that's, you know, a really generic tease for something that's coming up on Paranormal Thoughts. Yeah, we just had a a really interesting chat. I personally got a lot out of this, so I hope you do too. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brent, the owner of Caligari's Auditorium. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Brent, hello, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me this evening. Just kind of give us a little bit of an insight to who you are. Yeah, so, um, uh, I mean, in terms of how I kind of got into this sort of thing, um, and and probably <laughs> the reason I got into therapy as well, when I was a kid, I was just 
scared shitless of everything. I don't know. I'm like, it was either some sort of generalized anxiety thing or um, it was, I don't know. I think there were a lot of experiences in my youth where I felt um, sort of this fairly constant sense of dread and you can kind of chalk that up to, to, to what you will. But um, I think later on, I, um, I remember watching a few um, like movie trailers for movies like the Blair Witch. Well, the Blair Witch Project is one that stands out for me because, you know, at the time they were promoting it like this is real. And I remember at the time thinking, like, if I watch this, it will destroy me mentally. I had such a fear of kind of experiencing that sort of thing. And then when I hit about 11, I started watching horror movies. And then I was like, this isn't so bad. You know, it's a, it's a comfortable way to explore fear when you don't have to worry about negative outcomes. And, uh, and it just kind of took off from there. And it just got me into this... Um, from a lot of people that I talk to, it seems like that's how they get into this kind of thing. You know, it starts off as like a fear, then it turns to sort of this morbid curiosity, and then it's just full-fledged interest. So um, I want to say about five years ago, I, I've always kind of collected oddities and curiosities and that kind of thing. But um, I started to realize that it is a very expensive hobby. And so I started to kind of look at ways where I could make it a bit more accessible to the average person. So, um, and I've worked in the film industry a little bit too. So I kind of started making and selling things, but also collecting antiques. And I mean, in terms of the, the haunted items, that was not, uh, that was not intentional at all. To be quite honest, I think I am, unlike I think a, quite a few people that I know who sell similar things, um, I'm a bit more skeptical in that I think that's, I don't really know where I fall on that sometimes. You know, I've definitely had some experiences, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who sell oddities and curiosities and that do so in a way that is not entirely honest. And, you know, I, I, I know for a fact there are people who will go to, you know, a thrift store somewhere and will buy up the dolls and then they'll just come home and, you know, write up a little, yeah, this is a vessel for a, an 11 year old spirit named Isabel who died under these circumstances. And then they just mark them up to, and, and sell them. Right. And there's a, and there's a huge market for it. But um, for me personally, I, I don't like the idea of selling something based on any sort of attachment or presence that it has. So from a business standpoint, I kind of hate getting things in where I feel that they might <laughs> be haunted in some way because it, it just adds a few different layers of things. You know, like, again, being on the fence, I'm like, I don't know if I want to sell this to just anybody. I want it to sell it to this specific person, but I also don't want to jack up the price because I don't think that I should be selling something with an attachment to somebody who, to somebody based on that attachment. And so it's sort of a, a different can of worms entirely when you, when I do get those things in. No, I could honestly imagine there's obviously a lot that must go into, yeah, the idea of selling these items. And I was definitely going to ask at some point during this interview about the fact of you were selling like, you know, these strange, unusual items and you didn't have the intention of ever, I guess, collecting something with an attachment. And then the idea to even then have something like that and then to sell it or pass it on to someone else. I feel like this is why I really wanted to speak with you and um, yeah. I, because it's so it's so interesting and I feel like a lot of people are going to really want to know, but uh, the fact of, yeah, you didn't really get into this for that reason because from what I can see, from doing a bit of research, just getting a sense of what people actually think about, you know, uh, the idea of buying something that has an attachment, I feel like there's people who are pretty against it, which is understandable, you know. Uh, if you, I guess, look at it from the point of, you know, you've seen any of the horror films that have come out, you know, in the modern day, uh, the idea of buying something that, you know, is being sold to you as, yes, this is genuinely haunted. Yeah, most people would 
really turn away at that. And then obviously there's the moral kind of aspect of, well, what are you actually selling? What are you actually profiting from? But the fact that you've touched on, you're very wary about where those specific items are going just because, yeah, there's a lot more complexity around selling something like that. So it's just very interesting to hear your point of view on that. And it's great that you've already said that just off, you know, just straight away because, yeah, I wasn't really sure, you know, the idea of speaking with someone who, in a sense, is profiting off selling these types of items. But the fact you've already, you know, stated (laughs) you've kind of fell into all of this and that you are very wary and very respectful um, when it comes to handling these items. Yeah, it's very interesting um, trying to, you know, sometimes I'll get items in just because they're these old antiques and people do like that creepy aesthetic. And um, I'll get something in and some people that I have in my life, some people consider themselves to be a bit more sensitive. But there will be certain items where people just universally, anyone is just like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's sort of my litmus test. Um that and my dog. I feel like my dog's very uncomfortable with certain things. But um, but it, yeah, it, it does put me in a, an interesting an interesting situation because, on one hand, I was going to sell that thing anyways, and I don't plan on selling it for more than I did initially because it, it doesn't seem morally sound to sell something that I think can't inherently belong to me. But um, at the same time, I think I struggle with what level of disclosure is necessary. Like, do I do I need to add that to these product listings? And if I do, how does that how does that change things from a moral standpoint? And uh, yeah, it is a it's it, it's something that I hadn't really considered when I started this, but and there's also been many times where I've had people buy things from me and then later on they tell me that they've had some strange experiences. And I'd never considered in starting this out that I would need to have some sort of like haunting return policy. I mean, that just doesn't exist in any other uh, <laughs> any other type of shop, right? And uh, so that's that's been an interesting process for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What kind of experiences have people had with some of the items that you've sold? Like what what's the activity that they've found that's suddenly begun happening once they've gotten the item in their home? So interestingly enough, um, a lot of the items that I've had people buy that they've come back to me pretty quickly and said, like, there's some there's something going on here have been ones that I didn't feel that from at all. And I think part of that, and again, being on the fence, I think if some of these things do have different sorts of attachments, I wonder what having so many of them in the same location does in terms of does it all cancel each other out? Or, you know, if there is something, how can you really determine what is coming from what individual item? And so a lot of times there will be, um, and I, I find specifically with dolls, I'll sell them and then someone will come back to me and just, I think the most recent one I can think of, I sold this, it was an antique ventriloquist doll 
that had its face kind of badly painted like a clown. Like it looked like it was almost in an after, um, a, it was like a later addition to it at some point and it was not done very well. So it was very creepy. Um, and the person I sold it to had gotten back to me about a week later and said, you know, this, this doll showed up and I put it on this shelf and she'd actually posted a photo of this doll on the shelf with these other dolls. And um, she was freaking out about this because she had gone on vacation with her partner and then come back and the doll was just in a very different position where it was almost on top of this other doll. And she sent me a photo of it too. And she was just horrified by, by that situation. And so, I mean, I mean, immediately people are going to ask, you know, have you experienced anything? And, and I hadn't, but it tends to be things like that where I don't experience anything, but it, as soon as it gets into a different environment, there is some sort of, I guess, activity that people are, I, I think people like the idea of owning haunted things or creepy things, but when it comes down to those sorts of situations, they're, they're second guessing that a little bit for sure. Yeah, the appeal of it, I can understand. It definitely takes a certain person, doesn't it? And it's interesting to think about the idea of it is, you know, you could probably like really romanticize it. Like, you know, it's kind of, especially if you have a lot of this kind of material, you know, if you have like a room almost dedicated to it, like it is, it is a sight, you know, to be seen. But yeah, the idea of, I guess, welcoming something that is just something we you don't really know too much about uh, into your home is, yeah, it's not to really be taken lightly, I suppose. And I guess in some situations, yeah, people are buying these things, not realizing, but those who are actually actively seeking it out, like what do people typically like um, get a hold of you first and kind of request, like, have you got anything that's haunted? And what are those kinds of interactions like with those people? And, you know, do they actually get back to you and tell you like, yeah, this thing you sold me, it's doing this or what's that like? I definitely do have people reach out about that specifically, but I'm not sure why, but I don't think any of those people end up buying those items because I think for the most part, it's, it's almost a curiosity thing. And, and then I think when it comes down to it as well, they're um, a little uncertain. In fact, not, I'd say about a year ago, I had someone who had contacted me about that specifically. And um, I had this Ouija board at the time that someone had found in a and I you know you hear some of these stories and I I take them with a grain of salt but um I did a little research into this afterwards and this person had purchased a house and found a Ouija board in uh the shed outside and that house had had a uh like a murder take place and this person contacted me because they were like I guess I was the first person they found in in and around the city that kind of dealt with this sort of thing. And they just gave it to me. And again, it was one of those things where these things tend to kick around here because I don't really know how to sell them. I don't know if it's appropriate to. Sometimes I kind of feel like things will be sold in the right time. And I had someone contact me about it. And I was selling these little, um, I started making these more accessible ghost hunting kits during COVID. So I was like, people need something fun to do. And ghost hunting equipment can be pretty expensive. So I just made these little kits that had, you know, the EMF readers, the the dousing rods, they had some uh, uh, like some motion lights, just a bunch of fun stuff in them. And so someone reached out to me to buy one of those and asked if I had any haunted items. And I kind of told them about this Ouija board. And I just told, I was like, if, you know, if you buy this ghost hunting kit, you can just have this. And I guess this guy had just had this string of horrible, horrible nightmares. And he said he'd never experienced anything like it before about this Ouija board. And um, interest, I mean, there's so many variations of Ouija boards since they came out. And, you know, the, I think when they first started being mass produced would have been around 1920. And in this dream, his 
kind of vision of what the board looked like, having having not seen it before, was the same type of board. And so he, he didn't end up buying it. So I think most of uh, that was kind of the most recent situation where someone was interested and then backed out. And I think people usually do back out. That's so interesting, isn't it? The idea of, yeah, yeah you offering it to him and he's like, yeah, okay. And then instantly having that, those dreaded dreams where, yeah. yeah, like an omen in a sense. So, yeah, it would have been very interesting if you would have just kind of gone along with it, I suppose, and seen what actually could have happened. Because, yeah, I, I purchased the Ouija board, I think, back in 2019, specifically for the podcast because I had so many people, you know, ask my opinion on them. And I'm very skeptical as well. People might argue <laughs> with that, but I like to think I am. Like the longer I've done this podcast, you know, speaking with a lot of different people, a lot of different walks of life, or even just the time I've spent doing, you know, these solo episodes, picking a topic and really going in depth. Um, a lot of the time I I really like to try to find the holes in these stories or in these cases, you know, because, you know, I don't think you can really discredit those things. But a lot of the time, yeah, you can sort of find there's that like little 10% or whatever, which is like, yeah, this is actually pretty unexplainable. So there's something to that. But yeah, people would often ask, you know, my thought on the Ouija board. And I was always like, well, I guess it's probably a tool, you know what I mean? Like you could use it yes. in such a way that it's fun, you know, you can have a laugh, what kind of have you. Or, you know, if you are actually having an open invitation to something, then I mean, it's like anything. You could do that with just about anything if you have the the right intent behind it. But as soon as I ordered one, I you know, just ordered the stock standard like Hasbro kind of like yeah. the the very I, – I found one which had the sort of very vintage, kind of like 60s-esque kind of looking box because I just like the aesthetic of it. Yeah. But as soon as I hit like purchase, I even like woke up one night in like a stress just being like, oh, shit, like why did I just buy this thing? And it hadn't even arrived at the house yet. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think it was just because I started then looking into, you know, the proper way to use them. And I guess it really built up a lot of um, – hype and I guess like a little bit of anxiety, I suppose, just to like, yeah, most people say don't use these things. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to actively use it. And, um, and, you know, I used it a few, only literally a few times. I haven't probably used it since like 2019, but it still sits, um, in a cupboard in my home, you know, it's still there, but it was interesting. Yeah. What I kind of got out of it. I feel like the very first time using it was the time I was most convinced that something was actually happening with it because I was not aware of the layout of the board. You know, I didn't know where the letters were placed. So I felt yeah. like my subconscious w wasn't able to give me, um, you know, I was doing this with my eyes closed too, keep in mind. And, you know, it was spelling out, you know, it spelt out the um, my grandmother's name. Um, and I was kind no of thinking way. about her. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking about her while doing it. And literally, yeah, it spelled out her name, Barbara. Um, so, you know, it obviously not... Not a super common name, I suppose, but like I would close my eyes and just let the planchette move until it stopped. I'd open them. Yep. B over to A M, and so on. And I was just like, shit, you know, it was, it was so strange to have that happen um, without just knowing where, I mean, I don't know whether like the letter R was in comparison to the E on this thing, you know, it was very, um, yeah. it was strange, but um but yeah, just that thing of like all the anxiety kind of leading up to it. And then I used it and I was like, yeah, it was quite a, a very interesting experience. So yeah, like I've said many times on this podcast, like I don't discourage people from using this kind of material, but you have to be very careful. And I guess if you do have, you know, like this gentleman you mentioned, um, any sort of signs of being uh, like maybe that you should take it as a warning, then definitely listen to that. I think you should really listen to those those warning signs, you know, your your instinct and your intuition, it's pretty important, I think, when it comes to this stuff. But, yeah, really interesting because I could kind of relate a little bit with that, but just the anxiety sort of built up. But the, the fact that he pictured the board in his dream and it was that exact type is yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on the same page with you with um, when it comes to Ouija boards. I think it is – it is so much about intention and, you know, I've bought and sold hundreds of Ouija boards at this point and um, I've never used one ever. And not, not only that, but I've, uh, 
I've made quite a few uh, like coffee tables with Ouija board designs on them. And then I make these planchette coasters. And um, I just appreciate the aesthetic very much. But, you know, without fail, if I make one of those and I, and I, and I post it somewhere, you'll have those people who are like, you need to burn this immediately. Like, and, uh, and, I, and I usually tell them, like, you're free to buy it and then burn it, right? Once it's yours, you can <laughs> do whatever you, you want with it. You know with it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I think when I look at Ouija boards, I, I think it's the alphabet, right? It is, it's an alphabet. And I think langu- language has power, right? Language has a lot of power depending on how you use it. And so I think, you know, whether it's a coffee table or a, an antique Ouija board or it's one that like some kids have made out of pizza box, I think it's, it is so much about that intention but what you said about the you're spelling your grandma's name that's did that change things for you in terms of i mean you mentioned being skeptical um was that kind of a moment for you where you shifted a bit more in the other direction yeah i think so um at the time definitely it was pretty weird and even just the when it finished spelling her name because i never met her because you know that's the thing right you had the intent to reach out to someone or something so it's like well I guess like a relative's probably a safe bet. When it did spell out her name, I, I remember it was a very overwhelming feeling, um, a very yeah. overwhelming feeling for someone who had never met this person. You know what I mean? It was really, it was pretty strange and I, I definitely think there's a lot to that as well. And then I used it later that week while actually recording the podcast and, you know, I was getting some um, interesting things. Like once again, I was like, um, what color shirt am I wearing? And it's spelt like the word gray, things like that, you know. And once wow. again, using it like <laughs> using it with my eyes closed because that's the thing too, because like that's a number one rule is like you can't use it by yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And, and I actually did try to use it with um my partner, but it wasn't nothing was really happening. Um, but I think she was like she didn't want it to either. She was like, yeah. why are you bringing? Like she's pretty tolerant of uh <laughs> of like all of this, but she's like, I really don't think because you know. Like anyone, she has always understood these things to be evil and you just don't play with yeah. them. But, um, but yeah, I tried it with her first and then later that night I like turned off all the lights, like lit a candle, went to a different part of the house by myself and, yeah, had that sort of response and, yeah, doing it with the podcast as well. But after I kind of used it and I was like I did get some some great evidence for something coming through or at least you know I don't I don't know because I have recently been looking into like I guess like the mentalist side of these sort of things and um I suppose how how easily we can be led and you you can do that massively through your subconscious as well so and you know and that's how um these mediums you know back when the Ouija board was actually developed were you know I guess conning people in a sense you know it was all about um the illusion of it. So there's definitely, I wouldn't rule anything like that out, but I think using it those first few times, I was like still pretty new into it. And I felt like my, now if I was to use one, maybe I I almost don't trust myself to use one now because I feel like I've gone too much on the other side. Again, just being like, I'd be very skeptical. So I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, using it for that sort of portion and getting that experience is great, but I've sort of I feel like I've done it now. I mean, if I was at, if I was hanging out with some friends and like, can you pull it out? I'd be more than happy to do it with some other people. But once again, I would have to like sort of lay down those rules, especially if I was doing it like in my own house of, um, if any of you start, you know, just like dicking around with this, it's, it's going away. You know what I mean? Because. A hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that so completely. I was, I was reading something recently about this period of time when, personal computers started to become a lot more available and people with primarily nonverbal autism. And they would have these these people working with them who would essentially, you know, they'd, they'd help them type on these computers, but they would just kind of guide their arm a little bit. And in their minds, they weren't guiding it in any specific way. And these nonverbal people would start typing these things that were, you know, they'd be writing poetry, they'd be writing essays, they'd be writing these amazing things. And eventually someone was kind of like, 
you know, what are the chances that all of these people are this like very deeply insightful, like creative, poetic person and not just like, like one of them is just going to be boring, right? That's just the way it works. It's just like, (laughs) that's just the way people work. And so they started, I guess, testing this a lot more because it had become this big phenomenon in uh, mainstream media where people had thought they'd cracked this, right? They'd cracked this, um, you know, these people can't communicate verbally, but computers are the way into their minds and to get them to communicate. And um, they ended up doing these experiences, uh, these experiments where they would essentially to the person who, uh, the nonverbal person, they'd show them something and they would say, you need to type this. And, and they couldn't with the help of the other person. But then if they showed that to the person who was assisting them, they would be able to type it. And it just ended up being this kind of phenomenon where without knowing it, they were guiding their hands. And somehow, whether it's through, you know, the guiding and also maybe the... Um, unintentional body language, allowing them to write these very specific things. And I was thinking about that in terms of Ouija boards and how there is so much to that, that that unconscious, you can absolutely think that you're not doing that consciously, that something else is kind of moving through you. But I think that's why I'm so much on the fence with those, right? It's, uh, but I mean, in your experience with your eyes closed, it's, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to debunk that. I guess it's, it's easy now, all these years later to sit here and go, maybe I was really trying to make something happen, but I don't, I don't feel like it was like that. But even if it wasn't my, it, let's just say it was like my subconscious sort of intent for that. But I do remember the sort of feeling too, which was pretty... It did feel, it's kind of like, um, but I feel like a lot of people could probably say this too, but my hands were just very lightly touching the planchette and it did feel like there was this unseen kind of force. Nothing insane, but it, it was very much so that it felt like there was something else kind of at work. But yeah, it's I, I really want to do an episode at some point about I guess like there's the sort of mentalist point of view of yeah how how we can really be led and we can do it so much to ourselves you know like as you as you mentioned with um there's nonverbal people like it's it's pretty insane what you can actually achieve <laughs> without realizing you're doing it it's almost far more frightening what your mind is capable of and you know what you can actually achieve without realizing in comparison to the actual phenomena you know what I mean? Like the idea that you can Absolutely. cause yeah. so much of this yourself and not have this external thing happening is, I mean, it's it's insane really what you're actually capable of doing. It's interesting, especially with, you know, I guess, yeah, what you're doing because if people are seeking this material material out or even that thing of, um, I guess you could say if you sold something that didn't have this sort of trope of this could be haunted, you know, but it was. Say you just sold like a regular coffee table in comparison to your Ouija board coffee table, you know, and that thing suddenly had some weird attachment, you know what I mean? Like that's a whole other thing. But the fact of, you know, these items seem to always um, play into that, you know, very horror trope is, I mean, that obviously has to be a big part in all of this as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it, it tends to be dolls. For whatever reason, and 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 I think there had there was a big influx of that after the um, like Annabelle in kind of popular culture. Where um, I was reading this thing recently that showed the the increase of people selling haunted dolls and sort of this fear of dolls after after that kind of coming back into popular culture. Because I think you know even in the I guess like 80s, 90s, there was child's play, but it was a very different type of thing. It was, you know, possessed by a serial killer. It was kind of funnier, but I think the Annabelle thing brought back that um, more kind of traditional demonic ghost figure into dolls. And um, 
I know a few years back you'd done a an episode on just kind of going over some haunted items and you talked about that chair and I mean a chair is such a it's such a benign object right it, it's just it is functional and but the idea that something like a chair can be possessed by something is so interesting because it makes you realize that it could be anything right like it's not just dolls it's not just these old creepy items it's anything yeah exactly it's it is weird to yeah i guess have that mindset but yeah i mean if people are reporting it i remember with that chair it was kind of like they i think they ended up putting it on the wall or something right so they're yeah, like let's yeah. just not even tempt fate so no one can sit on it yeah it's just like i mean that's that yeah it definitely says something about all of this do you sell many dolls and i guess do people um have you heard from anyone about experiences after buying, say, a doll? Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is a lot of times I will sell antique dolls and I will have someone contact me afterwards telling me that there's something wrong with it. Or, you know, you post it online and I think a lot of, you know, there's these haunted doll Facebook groups and things like that where people will post a photo of something and, and, and say, you know, I got uh, a feeling off of this. Is anyone else getting anything from this? And people will kind of write their two cents. And a lot of people claim to be, um, you know, psychics or mediums or just sensitive. And, but what I found so interesting is that has happened to me with antique dolls, but I also make dolls myself. And, um, and I make them to usually look as creepy as possible without being comically creepy. And uh, so I'll kind of look at these old, you know, ventriloquist dummies and things like that. And for the average person to buy something like that, it's, it's exorbitantly expensive. And so at some point I was like, I, you know, I appreciate this aesthetic. So I'm going to start making some of these that look old, but aren't old. And there have been a lot of times with those as well, where people have been like, this is, there is like a horrible attachment to this doll. Like you need to get rid of this doll immediately. You need to, like someone needs to intervene before this gets out of hand. And then I'll kind of be like, I made this like a week ago, right? So I think there is that assumption that in order for things to have an attachment, they need to be old, right? But it kind of makes me wonder if that is the case, if it if it matters the age of something or just whether some things just have a, a presence, I guess. Yeah, it is. It's hard to say, isn't it? Because I, I guess we always associate spirits and ghosts as being dead for a long period of time, right? Yeah. Which is not the case, obviously, because people are dying every day. Yeah, why would something have to be old? I mean, it would make sense if something was owned by someone and then, you know, they seem to have an attachment to that. But also I think even the concept of attachment is an interesting one because that that word, I feel like when people are thinking about these items, it's almost like they think that this thing is that obsessed to the point of like they are that thing and like they can't they can't um break away from that but from my understanding with anything within um this specific topic it seems like these spirits do have free will and they can you know move from here to whatever that other side is as much as they like so it could potentially be that thing of you know someone who used the doll as an example they, yeah, they had this doll in their life and uh, yeah, at certain points they might come in, sort of check in on it and then leave, I suppose. But because I, I can't understand the reason why. And I guess that's the interesting thing too of um, if you were to buy something haunted, who's to say that it's going to be then haunted if you ship it to the other side of the world? You know what I mean? Like what this, this entity is just going to go, all right, well, we're just on the move now like it just doesn't yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it's yeah. pulls out its passport and yeah it's, it's right I feel like it's a very 
and this is the thing with the paranormal, right? People try to simplify it too much. And a lot of skeptics too, don't get me wrong, like I'm not talking about even believers per se. I feel like it's on both sides. But when people make arguments where it's like, hang on, we're dealing with something that is very difficult to prove, but I think there's a reason for that because it's it's just so unknown. And I guess it's that thing of we aren't really meant to have answers to everything and that's why I'm you know, that's why so many of us are so attracted to this is because it's just so strange and you know, you yeah. get you get one answer, it it uh, you know, you get three other questions, you know, as I typically find. But yeah, I feel like having that simple thought is just like like I literally um while doing a bit of research into, you know, haunted items, I suppose, I would come across people saying like, Oh, human spirits can't attach themselves to an item that's only demonic. I'm like, well, what do you mean? That, how does that yeah. make sense? Like, oh, well, they just, it just is. Or whatever kind of excuse they gave. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's that's just, you're just kind of constructing these restraints for no reason Absolutely. whatsoever. Like, yeah. and, you know, I've done a ton of episodes now with, exorcists and demonologists and you know there's a lot of conflicting views depending on are they religious themselves are they not you know are they a satanist i've had that sort of conversation too everyone has their own opinions but the idea of being like well this is this because oh it just makes sense it's like no no no. it's all it's all very open you know i'll never try to you know try to put things in their nice little categories by any means because it's like you don't know what that is, you know, and who's to say that it would make more sense that um, someone who has an attachment to something is going to have some part of them still belonging to that item, you know what I mean, rather than, I suppose, a demonic entity being like, oh, great, a doll, someone's going to yeah. put this on their <laughs> yeah. shelf and I'm going to, you know, cause yeah. havoc. It's just like that is such a simple, simplified storyline within all this, I think, anyway, you know, and it sounds like you I- definitely agree. I agree very, very much so. I was having a conversation with somebody recently and we're kind of discuss yeah, again, discussing the idea of attachment and how this idea that this spirit or this entity or this demon is is it is confined to this doll or whatever it is. But and you know, in talking about intention with Ouija boards and that kind of thing, we're kind of, you know, discussing the idea that when you look at a radio, right, and you, you listen to something through the radio, but that thing isn't in the radio. It's being sent up from somewhere else to many different radios. And so maybe these things can come through different objects based on how people are viewing those objects, based on their intentions towards those objects, if that makes sense. And um, I think that makes a bit more sense to me. As Yeah, like as you said, as opposed to a demon being like, this is the doll for me, you know? I'm sticking with this one. But I was also, I mean, like I'd, I'd listened to a few of your episodes and I was like, you know, I, I, I was I was happy to know that you are just like open to discussion about this kind of thing. Because I think some people, like you said, they're they're very deep into it and it is it is this one way. And um, I think what interests me is just. I'm open to the possibility, right? And um, I've, uh, I think one thing that I've just been kind of considering recently is I've always had pretty, like, I've always had a lot of lucid dreams and I've always had just really bad sleep paralysis. And that's another one of those things where when you wake up from that, you're like, I've just had this demonic experience. Like this is like something profoundly evil just happened to me. And then as time goes on, you're just like, yeah, but it's just a dream, right? It's just like um, there is some sort of emotional or psychological components at play that caused me to have those sorts of um, experiences. But thinking back on, it's tough because I have so many things coming in all the time. And, but there've been, you know, certain periods where I've had sleep paralysis where, um, and a lot of times it's just, it's just sleep paralysis where I'm just like, you know, I'm, I know I'm sleeping, I'm trying to wake up and then I think I've woken up and then I realize I'm sleeping again and it's kind of that cycle. 
but there have definitely been times where I've had these experiences with, and two in recent memory. And it's interesting too, because I thinking about moving items from one place to another and how it would appear to me that if these things really do have some sort of attachment, that environment plays a big role. And that in places like in my shop, maybe they're just, they're fine. And then they go to this new place and something comes out. And, um, but in the house I was living in previously, it was a very old house. I would get sleep paralysis a lot. And sometimes I would, like, I, I remember these two distinct experiences. One time where, you know, I was laying there and I knew, I knew where I was and I was asleep, but I couldn't move. And I had this experience of this, I knew it was like this older couple talking to me, but it was very, it was fine. There's nothing scary about it. And then shortly after that, I had another experience where it was the most oppressive and terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. And it was like, and I heard this, like this voice that it was like a coughing voice. Um, talking to me and I felt like I've never felt anything like that in my life and I couldn't help but think afterwards like you know if there were attachments to certain items that come in um I mean I don't keep them all in my house obviously but the ones that I do it's like if there was going to be some sort of contact maybe that's it but then there's that other part of me that's just like nah it's just a dream right it's just a some part of my unconscious that is projecting something and it's easy to write it off after, you know, half a day. And I think it's easier. I mean, you don't want to wake up and be like, I just had this profoundly demonic experience and I got to like start my day. Right. Um, so it's easier to write it off. I feel like it's like, it's more psychologically comfortable, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> those types of experiences are so, are so interesting because I'm just, I mean, I'm usually split right down the middle or I'm kind of like 60, 40, 60 being on the side of, it's just some psychological thing going on. It's just, you know, you, you feel paralyzed. And so you feel like something bad is happening to you. And so, but I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to try and wrap your head around sometimes. Most definitely. It's that thing of, is it just the phenomena that we know that's happening, but, you know, we've been able to prove science. Uh, you know, it's quite somewhat common, you know, at least when people experience sleep paralysis to, you know, be in these, you know, to be in the position of hearing or seeing the unusual and unexplained. But, you know, because you do have these items around your house that you've collected and also the ones which you are you know, holding on to to sell, you know, could that then be, as you said, you know, something else, some sort of communication or something to do with that? Uh, obviously hard to know. I guess that's something that you would have to come to the conclusion of and what best suits that situation, I guess, if you take any comfort in uh, thinking it's just this phenomena that happens to, you know, a lot of other people or is it some sort of connection with these items? Brent, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time and being so open and honest about your trade of selling haunted items. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this, so I'm excited for people to hear it. And please, what is your Instagram so people can go and find where you sell all these uh, weird and wonderful items? Yeah, so um, real real quick here. I've been – because I do feel so passionately – about these people who, you know, will go to thrift stores and buy the dolls and give them these like cheap little backstories. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go next level. I'm going to start making these. Um, I've got a thing for ventriloquist dolls. So started making these ventriloquist dolls and um, giving them these whole like backstories. And I'm open about it too, right? Like I'm not selling this to anyone based on a false idea, but um giving these whole backstories and, you know, Photoshopping pictures and just making it a whole experience, which, um, so some of my most recent stuff is like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Caligari's auditorium, which 
Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful, a bit difficult to spell, but, um, it's just kind of based on, um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is like, a early 19 or early 1900s, like German, like arguably the first psychological horror movie of all time. And it's amazing if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah, it's Caligari's auditorium and, uh, I'm kind of shit at posting things. I'm good at making things. I'm not great at posting or marketing them. So I uh, I go through spurts, but um, no, I uh, <laughs> I appreciate you letting me put that out there. Thank you so much again for Brent for coming on and speaking with me. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Definitely go check out his Instagram. There is a link in the description of this podcast. Um, there's definitely some cool items that he's selling and I feel like some of you might actually be interested in um, picking something up. So check out Brent over there and uh, let him know that you heard the podcast and say hello. So with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you are a Spotify listener and you haven't left us a review, even if you already have left a review, you can go back into the Spotify app onto Paranormal Thoughts, click on the five-star rating, screenshot it, and just send it to me and you can win a pretty cool, I mean, I think they're pretty cool, uh, Paranormal Thoughts podcast t-shirt. So with that, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please share the podcast with anyone you think who might be interested. It's pretty amazing that at the moment there's more of you listening than ever. It's very cool to continuously, you know, to be able to grow because I know you guys are enjoying it and other people are enjoying it. So it's a very exciting time for Paranormal Thoughts, I feel. So the more the merrier is what I can say. But um, yeah, guys, just thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode really soon. Thanks. Bye.